All right, go ahead and be seated. And, uh, blessing to be back tonight. And uh, I'm thrilled to be able to teach and preach once again. Uh, Genesis 1 again. And uh, only got 17 points. We'll be done. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just kidding. Just, just four tonight. That. Um, As I restudy my notes, um, I was these things get longer and longer somehow. I don't know, just uh, boy, that that'd be a good verse to put in there. That'd be good. just kind of lead you all over the Bible, you know, and, and um, such consistency in our Bible. And um, we talked this morning about the the types in the Bible and in the Old Testament how how God wrote a narrative which is absolutely true i mean it's word for word exactly what happened and yet there is a there is a kind of a hint of redemption or there's some um uh, there's just a, a type or picture of something that christ has done for us particularly his death and res- resurrection or the salvation that we um that he has provided for us and um but the Bible is a unique book, and there's none like it. There never will be anything like it. And uh, so we appreciate having it so much. And aren't you glad tonight that we have the Word of God? And and uh, he didn't leave he didn't leave it for man to 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 preserve it. The Bible says that he would preserve it. Isn't that right? Psalm six six and or no Psalm uh, twelve six and seven and a number of other places. Uh, he is the preserver of, of the Word of God, and he took that upon himself. Man would corrupt it, but uh, God would not allow that. And so we have the Word of God today just like they had it when it was originally written. And uh, we we so much appreciate that. Um, by the way, I don't think it would be any other way, do you? <laughs> I mean, God writing something so important and uh, so needful for you and I. Uh, that he would preserve it, and that just that just makes simple sense, especially knowing God and uh, His power and His love for us and His faithfulness to us, and so on and so forth. So, all right, Genesis one. Let me get there. <clears throat> We're going to continue the message this morning, and this morning, um, for those of you especially that may not have been here this morning, um, the uh, the message it's really kind of an uh, in a, in a way I don't normally I don't normally preach these kinds of messages but but um, it just kind of got my attention one day and I made up a message on on Genesis one but understand what we're going to do tonight is make an application of the the different days of creation and some of the things that went on in those days of creation and applying them to the Christian life and. Uh, but I'm not trying to take away in any way, shape, or form the fact that this is a perfectly accurate narrative, a perfectly accurate record of what God did in the in the seven days of creation. And, of course, six and then a day of rest, you understand that. But um, anyway, um, we can take it literal. Uh, we don't have to try to spiritualize anything. But I'm gonna I'm gonna do a little spiritualization tonight, okay? As we did this morning. Um, but it's just another example, I believe, of this being God's word. And uh, we find the plan of redemption. We find so many things uh, kind of written between the lines, so to speak, in in what God has written to us. So let's uh, let's pray, and then we'll begin. Thank you, our Father, for your goodness to us, and we thank you, Lord, for your love for us. We're grateful that you are a good God, and we're thankful, Lord, that you are coming again one day. And our Lord, we pray that, uh, again, until that time, though, that we would be walking with thee, that, that our heart would be uh, overflowing with love for thee, Lord, and, and uh, a trust in thee. And our Father, we do pray and ask that our life would be pleasing and honoring to you. And we pray that tonight's message would would be a help in that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm going to read the chapter. Um, And it it starts off at verse 1, of course. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. 
And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made a firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. Again, the firmament there, which is called heaven in verse 8, the next verse, is simply our atmosphere. Okay? And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, and the herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And um, again, we're talking now about the second heaven, or the starry heavens, or the universe, however you want to call that, uh, beyond our atmosphere. Um, uh, I want to come back for signs. I think that's a very interesting word there and what it stands for. And let them be for lights in the firmament of heaven to give light upon the earth, and it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night, and he made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of heaven to give light upon the earth. By the way, I think it's kind of humorous in a way uh, to say, well, he made the stars also. You know, it's almost like, you know, well, yeah, he did that too, you know. <laughs> and, you know, there's trillions and trillions of stars and all, and all of the, all the heavenly bodies. And, oh, yeah, that was nothing, you know. <laughs> um, and God set them in the firmament of heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life, and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let the fowl multiply in the earth, and the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth a living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beast of the earth after his kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and God saw that it was good. By the way, you notice how many times you said after his kind? <laughs> after his kind, uh, evolution doesn't fit the Bible narrative, does it? And God said, let, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them, and God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of the earth, and every tree in, in the which is fruit, uh, the fruit of the tree yielding seed, and to you it shall be for meat. Uh, and to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. 
and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that he uh, in it had rested from all his work which God created and made. Okay, so there we have the creation week. Um, This morning we looked uh, at three points, and we looked at... Um, the the earth initially was without form and void on the first day of creation. And uh, we, we liken that to man. And by the way, that, uh, God said, let there be light also on the first day. But initially, I believe he brought forth the, the sphere that we live on and uh, covered with waters and so on without form and void. And, and so initially we find that the creation was without form and void and there's no light yet until later on the first day, I believe. And and uh, so we liken that to the way man comes into the earth. That's the way we come into the earth. We're void of righteousness, we're void of light, void of, uh, of spiritual life, and that's the way we come into this life. And uh, we looked at many verses that back that up. And, and then we looked at the Spirit of God moving upon the face of the waters and God saying, let there be light. And with that, we looked at God did not leave us, you and I, without light. And uh, so God, the, the Spirit of God has moved uh, to give you and I light that we might be saved. And the Spirit of God, of course, works uh, in our life to bring that about, using the Word of God in our life to bring that about. And so that 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 is taught as well. And then we looked at the great divide. And over and over we looked at, you know, there's a d- division between light and darkness and night and day and, and between the, the waters above and the waters below. And we see that word divide so many times. And we looked at the fact that the believer is is divided from the rest of the world. And um, we're, we're different. We're new creatures in Christ. We, we have a, a new nature. We have a new family. We have a new destiny and so on. And we are, we are different. Even though our actions may not be that different sometimes and maybe a lost person, but yet from God's perspective, we are absolutely different and uh, new creatures. And uh, we looked at the old, uh, the old man being a dichotomy, uh, body and soul, but dead spiritually. And the new man, or the born-again man, is body, soul, and spirit. He's alive spiritually. So very literally, a new creature in Jesus Christ. So, uh, we, And we see that, by the way, in our, in our, uh, in our text. And we're, we're taking, obviously, a, a just kind of a lesson or a picture from our text here. Okay, now tonight, I want to move on. And, and number four in the in the the lesson here is the potential and development of the believer, and I, I'm getting that from verse nine. And it says, "And God said, Let the waters under heaven be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear." And it was so. And so we see that God then begins to develop and to and to give form, if you would, uh, to the initial creation of bringing that sphere, that water-covered sphere, into being. And so God now is working uh, in the creation um, to. And by the way, dry land is is necessary to many living things, including you and I. I'm so glad we have dry land to walk on and and live on, aren't you? I'm glad we're not waterborne uh, somehow or have to live on a boat. Uh, but anyway, uh, we find that, that uh, God, uh, after this and the ensuing days of creation, is going to bring forth uh, animals and insects and different, uh, uh, an- uh, different creatures that, that need dry land and to inhabit and survive and propagate, whether it be plant life, animal life, or whatever the case may be. So, uh, that's what we see in this particular day. And uh, <clears throat> and then, so we see we progress from ignorance and the blindness of lost uh, to God giving light or understanding of spiritual things to the separation from the rest of humanity by the new birth and now the potential and the development of the believer. Now, as far as potential is concerned, we understand that's Christ-likeness, isn't it? That's the, that's the potential. That's the potential. 
Uh, in Romans eight twenty nine, it says that we God. You understand? We remember that verse: God worketh all things for good, you know, to them that love God and are called according to His purpose. Uh, but but the next verse, verse twenty nine, uh, talks about that we in those things are being conformed to the image of Christ, and that's why all things work together for good. Uh, not everything feels good, does it? Not everything looks good. Some things hurt. Our hearts can be broken. There's a, a lot of things that, that we would say, that's not very good. But yet God uses those things to conform us to the image of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He uses the, he uses the triumphs and the victories. He uses the lessons. But he uses hardship and he uses difficulty. And he uses those things that break our heart as well. Uh, to conform us to the image of his son. And that's why it says that all things work together for good. That's a good thing to be conformed to the image of his son. Is it not? Uh, that's a good thing, isn't it? Uh, I would, I, I, I believe that that is a very good thing. So we ought, we ought to really have the, um, and that will be fully accomplished, by the way, in the resurrection. But until then, we ought to be about the business of using the tools and, and so on that God has given us uh, that that does come about. That thing of sanctification or Christ-likeness, that thing of holiness in the life or Christ-likeness. So, and uh, let me give you a verse here. And um, uh, in Ephesians, or excuse me, Philippians chapter 3 um, Paul said this um, in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. By the way, it's never an easy thing to die, is it? I mean, that's not an easy thing. But, um, but he goes on to say, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. In other words, he says, I am striving to be in this life where I will be when I resurrect. In other words, I am striving to be Christ-like in my life. I want to I want to grow and, and progress spiritually just as far as a as someone with a sinful nature can possibly progress or be uh, in this life. That that was his goal. That was his goal. And um, he he goes on to say in verse twelve, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. And by the way, in this life we won't be perfect, but we ought to be moving that way. Amen. Uh, we ought to be moving that way uh, with the help of God, obviously. Um, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. In other words, God saved me to that end. Uh, I've been apprehended unto that end. I've been saved to that end of where I will be in the resurrection. Uh, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and by the way, that would be the failures and the victories. Let's put those things behind us. We can learn from them. And then what? And reaching forth unto those things which are before or in front of us, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Wow, that's... That's quite an aspiration, isn't it? That's quite a goal in life. But that was his goal in life. That was the aspiration of the Apostle Paul. Um, by the way, just as an encouragement, and this is, this is kind of free here, um, uh, time out for a minute, you know, Dave McCracken would say if you know him. But um, down in verse 16, Nevertheless, whereto we've already attained, in other words, what's brought us this far, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. In other words, what he's saying is, I'm not giving you some new formula, there's, there's, no, there's no real um, you know, secret to, to this thing of growth. The thing that's brought you this far, you just continue in that thing. Continue to read and study your Bible, continue to pray, continue in church. It's, it's not a hard thing. It's not a hard thing. And God will, God will grow us through that. And we'll, we'll grow and mature and, and become more Christ-like through that. So what's brought you this far in your Christian life? Just keep it up. 
and just keep it up. I think you already know what um, develops you and I in the Christian life. Okay, as we look at that, as with creation, there, there's a, a great deal of diversity in creation. We would agree with that, wouldn't we? With birds and fish and all kinds of, all kinds of subspecies. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know how many thousands of kinds they say of mosquitoes there are. We, we wonder about that, you know, but uh, I don't even like one kind of mosquito. And here there's thousands of them, but, but um, we understand there's a great deal of diversity in the creation of God. And there's also a diversity in really the commands and, and the things that God gives us, instruction in the Bible, that we might grow uh, into our potential of Christ-likeness. Now, uh, let me give you a, just a kind of an example of that. In, um, let me see, how about Second Peter? Well, let me see, I'm closer to Colossians. Let's go to Colossians chapter 3, Colossians 3 and 12. In Colossians 3 and verse 12, it says, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, or to be tenderly merciful, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ uh, forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which he also called in one body, and be ye thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, and whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Well, if we get that much down, we're doing pretty well, aren't we? Uh, I would say. Um, uh, now I'll go to first, or Second Peter here. and Second um, uh, Peter... Um, let me see, chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. And beside all this, now the first four verses deal with salvation. And then in verse 5 it says, Beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. So, there's kind of a list there. I believe these kind of maybe, well, I think generally speaking, these kind of follow each other. Uh, we kind of build, build on these things. And uh, that last thing is charity or, or a, a sacrificial giving, a, a sacrificial love, and so on. Charity, uh, of course, um, has to do with love, doesn't it? Charity, love, and uh Charity is a good word. I like the word because when we give to charity, we give without expecting to receive. Right? We're not we're not bargaining with anyone when we get when we give to charity. We're not expecting anything back. It's just a sacrificial gift, isn't it? Right, that's a great command. Well, there's a lot of these things in the Bible. Lot, lots and lots of these things. Uh, we have a, a whole bunch of commands in First uh, Thessalonians. Uh, chapter 5 concerning quench not the spirit and I spoke on that in Sunday school last time I was here and we see uh, those little commands rejoice evermore and pray without ceasing and so on and so forth Uh, so we have have a very diverse bunch of commands that bring us to that place of Christ likeness so we're talking about development development God has saved us and now he's developing you and I uh, that we might be Christ like in our life All right. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Of 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. And for time's sake, I'm skipping over some things. So let's look at the next one. The next one is fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. Let's let's go back again to Genesis uh, chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Fruitfulness. Uh, so, as we see God bringing forth the dry land, uh, we find there is the, the developing uh, of the Christian life, the development of what he had brought forth. And, of course, looking at the analogy here, development in the Christian life. He wants us to develop, by the way. 
He wants us to grow in grace. We have commands to grow in grace, don't we? But grow in grace. That's, I mean, we just read it. Uh, therefore, go on to perfection, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1. We've got a lot of verses that talk about human responsibility, although we know that God works through those things to bring us to Christ's likeness. Okay, <clears throat> now fruitfulness. In verse uh, 11, it says, And let the earth bring forth grass, and the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. And so we see the thing of fruitfulness. Verse 12, the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw it was good. Now, God told the fish of the sea or they, they would be fruitful and multiply, the birds of the air, uh, the beasts of the field, and, and all the creatures, including man, were to be fruitful. Uh, and they were to be fruitful and multiply. So uh, the plants, the herbs, the trees, the animals, insect life, amphibians, I mean everything, uh, the fish and man were to be fruitful. In John 15, 1, we have the parable there of the vine and the branches. Uh, Christ is the vine, we are the branches, and the Father is the vine dresser. Isn't that right? He is the he is the vine keeper. He is the, the farmer, if you would. And we notice that he cuts off the branches and casts them away that bear no fruit. Now, those that believe that you can lose your salvation, go to this verse and try to use that verse to, to uh, save that. But we know by so many verses, you don't lose your salvation, right? When you're saved, you're saved. I mean, when you're a child of God, you're forever a child of God. Uh, when you're born again, you can't be unborn again. We don't see that in the Bible anywhere, do we? So, so what does it mean? Well, I think there's a couple things. Number one, it could be that God removes the mere professor of Christianity rather than the, uh, obviously the possessor or the saved cannot be removed and God does not remove them. Uh, but some profess Christ but really do not know him. It could be that. Uh, or, and, and maybe more likely, is it, it, it is simply an illustration of the uselessness of believers who will not bear fruit. It could very well be that. And just an illustration of the uselessness of those who do not bear any fruit. Uh, even though they may be saved, some just don't bear a whole lot of fruit. You know, they're... They're worldly, they have other interests in mind, um, you know, whatever the case, but there's believers that don't bear a whole lot of fruit. Uh, bearing fruit is expected. In fact, uh, uh, I would I just go quickly to John, John 15, and um, it is expected of us. Um, John 15, verse, verse 1 I am the vine, and my father is a husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, uh, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, look at that. Those who bear fruit, he purges or cleanses or uh, he prunes, if you would, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. By the way, down skipping down to verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, and so shall ye be my disciples. That's, that's what he expects of his disciples. Now, back in Isaiah chapter 5, we see that parable of the vineyard. That, and I mentioned that this morning. And how that God planted a vineyard. Now, he's speaking about the nation of Israel, which he, he calls that out very plainly and clearly. Uh, but he said, you know, I, he says, uh, you know, he, he prepared the ground. He, he built a hedge of protection around his vineyard. He built a tower in the vineyard. And, and he, he planted the most choice vine in the vineyard. And he expected good fruit, but it bore evil fruit, didn't it? And, of course, it again is illustrating Israel and, and their cons almost consistently turning away from God. 
But the, the point is, God expected good fruit from them. He expected it. And, and, he was, and he condemned them for bearing other kinds of fruit. And so uh, God, in, in John chapter 15, we see that we're to bear fruit. And we're going to bear uh, more fruit as time goes on, as we mature and grow. And, and then much fruit is a potential uh, in our life. <clears throat> Uh, In the book of Luke, and just to illustrate that point once again, Luke in chapter 13. Luke in chapter 13, verse 6 and 7. And there it says, uh, And he spake also this parable, Jesus is speaking, A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon, and found none. And then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? And he answered and said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year until I... In other words, the, the vine dresser there wanted, wanted to work a while longer with it. But the point is, he expected fruit from his fruit tree. Okay, he expected fruit from the fruit tree. Albert Barnes in his, his commentary said this, uh, Fruitful in good works... Uh, faithful, zealous, humble, devoted, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, none of those are above the call of duty. They really are not. These are things that really are expected of us. Now, by the way, uh, fruit is a natural product of what something is. Isn't that right? A peach tree don't become a peach tree when it bears its first peach. It bears peaches because... The nature of the tree is to bear peaches, or it's a peach tree. And uh, so we must be born again, obviously, to bear fruit that's pleasing to God, and, and we should, and God expects it. The fruit of the new nature is righteousness, according to Philippians 1.11. There should be a display of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance uh, in our life. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, is given in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. And as we think about bringing forth after our own kind, we certainly ought to have a desire to see souls saved. Amen? And uh, we should want to bring forth after our own kind, you know, other believers. I mean, we can't do that, but uh, what we can do is witness. We can be a testimony. We can we can uh, give a track. We can bring them to church. <laughs> you know, there's things we can do to see that others are saved. We are laborers together with God, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3.9. Okay, well, we're, we're getting a little closer to coming in for a landing here, folks, so hang on here. Okay, then testimony, our testimony. And, and back to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, uh, once again, and verse, verse 14 It says, um, And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be for lights in the firmament of heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. So we looked at Psalm 19 this morning about how the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare. Uh, plural. That means the first heaven or our atmosphere, everything that we can see during the daytime. And then secondly, the second heaven or the starry heavens, which we look up and see at night. And so, uh, so the heavens declare the glory of God. Now, I want to go back to that verse here quickly because I don't think I quite finished uh, what I should have said about it. In chapter nine, or Psalm 19, they haven't declared the glory of God, the firmament uh, showeth his handiwork. Day unto day utter a speech. That is, there's a message in it. There's a message in creation that God is powerful. God is wise. Um, God is creative. Uh, I mean, there's just so many descriptions here that we find of God in the creation. Uh, so day unto day utter speech, it speaks to us. Night unto night showeth knowledge. We, we come to a knowledge of the power of God. We come to a knowledge of God's creativity and so on. 
And, and, uh, and there's so much variety, isn't there, in the creation of God? I mean, there's big stars and little stars, even. They're way out there, and they all look the same to us with the naked eye. In fact, they're, they're, some of what we think are stars are actually whole galaxies out there. Um, but it says this in verse 3, There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. That's an interesting verse there. That means that anywhere you go in the earth, no matter what your nationality, no matter what language you speak, the creation speaks the same to everyone on the face of the earth. It speaks of, of the majesty and the power, and, and it speaks of God, a master designer and creator. And there's no one, has, I mean, uh, anywhere you go, you can look around at the creation of God during the day, and you can look up at night and see the creation in the second heaven or out in the universe. And so uh, it testifies of the wisdom and the infinite power of God which is way beyond our imagination. In fact, the creation is, should be and is so convincing uh, that, that the Bible says that those who reject that revelation of the creation are accountable before God. And that's something. Now, um, I, don't, I, don't, uh, I don't believe just looking up and say, wow, this is something else, uh, means that a person is saved, but it would lead them that way. It would lead them that way. Uh, first says, well, I sure like to know the one who did all this. He's something else. And God says, well, I've been waiting for that, you know. And uh, he'll make sure they get the rest of the message, I believe, if they respond to what revelation they have. Um, I'm not a Calvinist, obviously. Um, let me see. I think what I'm about to say is worth the time I'm going to say it, okay? Um we all know, anyone know the 12 signs, Zodiac, as it's called? You know, it's, it's actually a pagan perversion of what God did in the beginning. And uh, in the book of Job, he talks about Orion and Pleiades, some of those which are constellations out there. And he talks about the Maseroth. The word Maseroth just simply means 12 signs. And God made those 12 signs. And I believe that God revealed to Adam what those signs really do mean. Now, it's interesting that, that the stars do not picture the tw- uh, what they're called, like Virgo the Virgin. There, it's not a figure of a woman there in the stars. It, it just, but, but God named that group of stars Virgo the Virgin. And, and, uh, and so on as you go on around, there are, there are actually 12 uh, 12 constellations that were specially named by God. Now, it's interesting that although the modern day 12 signs start with Aries, um, the, the ram, uh, in the ancient star charts, when we talk about ancient, we're going back to the pyramids and the Sphinx and all of that kind of thing. And the ancient star charts start with Virgo the Virgin. And it's interesting, one of the stars that makes up the right hand of Virgo the Virgin is a semic, which means seed. And the other is, uh, let me see, I'm not sure I can remember it, but it means it has to do with a, a branch or a ruler. And so we find the seed of the Virgin, a ruler. Does that sound familiar? And by the way, if you start with Virgo the Virgin, you know what you end up? You end up with Leo the Lion. that sound familiar? Didn't he come born of a virgin? And when he comes again, he's coming like a lion? Hmm. And by the way, there's three sacrificial animals. There's the, the ram, there's the bull, and there is the goat. All three sacrificial animals in that. You have... Um, um, you have the uh, half man and half horse or some other animal with a, uh, the archer he's called. And uh, by the, in the ancient star charts, by the way, he's aiming that arrow at Hydra the sea serpent, a picture of Satan. 
Um, we go through Libra, the balances, one balances, the tri- price is insufficient, and that talks about our works. The other balance is the price is sufficient, which is the work of Christ. The water bearer, he pours out the Holy Spirit. I mean, we, we go through that. There's a message of Christ in those ancient, in, in, in the ancient, well, in the, I mean, they're still out there. You can still see them, but it's been perverted by uh, paganism. But originally, that's what it stood for. Now, I didn't get that in the Bible. I just did that from some study. But uh, you can take that for what it's worth. But my, oh, my, God has not left himself without witness. He's not left himself without a witness. A testimony. That's a testimony of Christ, isn't it? A testimony of Jesus Christ, what he's done for. Boy, isn't it good to be saved, folks? I, I'm, <laughs> it's so good to be saved and to know Christ as Savior. My, oh my, what would we do without him? Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we may die, Right? Um, okay, so our life is also to be a testimony or a witness as well. Ephesians 5, 8, <clears throat> you were sometimes darkness, now are ye light in the Lord. And so our life is to be light and to give light, to give understanding of, of what Christ does in a person's life who turns to him. All right, let me, let me give you a, a couple of verses here. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 Uh, Verse 14 and 15. Our life is to give light concerning the value of Christ and the value of knowing Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 14. Uh, It says, Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. You see, our life is to be a testimony, to be light and to give light to a lost and dark world around us. By the way, the word testimony or witness comes from the same Greek word, uh, martyrion, where we get our word martyr. And a martyr, of course, is one who uh, suffers and especially experiences death for the cause of Christ. And what a powerful testimony uh, that is. And by the way, the old martyrs, if you've ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs or something like that, uh, you realize that the martyrs, that they had a tremendous testimony. There were lives changed as people watched them die so graciously and refused, refused deliverance, refused uh, deliverance by recanting or or denouncing Christ. They refused to do that, that they might glorify the Lord Jesus. And that's a very impressive thing. And I've read stories about the, the Roman Colosseums where Christians were torn apart by lions and wild bulls and all of that. And, and the way that those people died, there was people there that came to witness that, that got saved and right there in the, in the, the Colosseum itself and went down themselves to become a martyr. Wow, that's uh, quite a testimony. Oh yeah, I think... Um, uh, you know, if you've read the book, you've in other books, there's another called Martyr's Mirror, which is about that thick and about that big. And uh, just martyr after martyr, the accounts uh, are given. And, uh, boy, it talks about those who are tied to a stake and the, the, the kindling is put down around their feet and up around their legs. And, and uh, there's someone standing there with a torch and they say, you know, you've got a chance to spare yourself. All you have to do is renounce Christ. All you have to do is recant, and and uh, and we'll turn you loose. And they did not do it. Go ahead and go ahead and light the wood. I'm not going to turn my back on my Savior, who gave so much for me. There's a um, what I, I I've, I've always been impressed with this verse here in in J or Hebrews. Um, let me see Hebrews chapter. Um, 11, 11. It talks about the mark well, through faith Moses and you know Abraham Moses and goes down through the list and and uh, uh, Rahab the harlot and Gideon and Samson and and so on and it goes down to verse thirty four or verse thirty three. 
who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. That's impressive, isn't it? That's impressive. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. It was offered to them. It was offered to them, but not accepting deliverance that they might receive or obtain a better resurrection. Wow, that is impressive. What a witness. What a testimony uh, that is. Now, you and I may not be called upon to be a martyr in that, in that way. Uh, a martyr, though, translated witness, of course, that, that would certainly apply. But we certainly can live for Christ to be a testimony and a witness of his saving power. Titus 2.12 says that the grace of God teaches us that we are to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, rather to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And that is a witness. That is a witness. Uh, Taking a stand for righteousness is a witness. Defending Christ among those that oppose him, that's a witness. Our lives are to be a testimony of the saving grace of Jesus Christ from the time that we begin our walk as a believer to the day that he calls us home. Okay, I am coming in for a landing now. So um, the final thing, the day of rest, the day of rest, the final rest. Now, we read into chapter 2 just a little bit. And... uh, Thus the heavens and earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because he rested from all his works which he had created, or I'm paraphrasing, which God had created. Well, think about God resting on the seventh day, his work being finished and complete. And... Uh, we'll get we'll get to the final rest here in just a moment. But let me just say this: there is a rest of faith, right? There is a rest of faith. Uh, Jesus says, "Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? I will give you rest." Right? And that I believe speaks of the unbeliever coming to Christ and having the peace and the joy and the rest and and all of that. Um, uh, where he before had been convicted of his sin and experienced the guilt and all of that and the shame of sin. And uh, so we understand that there is a rest of salvation. And then there's a rest in the all-sufficiency of Christ. He he goes on to say, uh, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. And so that's Christian rest. And that's the rest that comes by believing that Christ is sufficient, that He that His will is perfect for our life, and and we are and we are submitted to that. Um, and and by the way, there's an illustration of that in the Old Testament once again, uh, and it's the children of Israel coming out of the wilderness and going into the land of Canaan. Now sometimes that's that's uh, figured. Uh, some figure that. Or it's a figure of going to heaven. But I don't think so. There were battles when they went into Canaan. But, but they trusted Christ. And they rested in, in God's power. And they called upon the Lord. And, and there are battles in the Christian life. But we can have peace and rest in those things as we walk with the Lord and trust Him. Now, and then finally is the final rest. And that's heaven, of course. Um, the final rest. We're going to have a rest one day. One day we're going to we're going to rest. And uh, Revelation chapter fourteen, verse thirteen. Um, it says, "And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. From henceforth, yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them." There's a final rest one day. We talked about it this morning that. Out of uh, what? Revelation 21. Uh, there's no more tears, no more sorrow, no more death, no more crying. Uh, 
Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Boy, there is an end. And this rest begins the hour that we go to heaven. I mean, whether through death or the rapture, when, when we get there, we begin that rest. And that rest will continue for all eternity. Rest for our souls. Boy, we'll, uh, we'll never disappoint God again. We'll never sin again. Boy, what a blessing that is. We'll never be fretful. We will never, ever worry about anything. We will never, ever experience anguish or, or disappointment or anything else in heaven. Isn't that something? That's going to be something else. Final rest. So, uh, what we've looked at, we've looked at the, the factual, um, this, this uh, record of God's creating the heavens and the earth. And, it, and it's literal, and that's the way that it's to be taken. But it's just kind of interesting, the parallels between that and the Christian life. There was a time when we were lost. Without form and void, if you would. There was a time when we were without light. But God moved upon our souls and gave us some light. And uh, we looked at five different ways that he does that this morning. Um, and, and God moved upon us and, and, uh, and used the word of God in our, in our life to, to bring us to Christ. And, and then we looked at the fact that there is a division then because we're new creatures in Christ. We're different than we used to be and we're different from the world. We are no longer of the world. We're in it, but we are not of it. We're not like it. And then, of course, we've looked at the development uh, in the Christian life. We've looked at fruitfulness in the Christian life. We've looked at our testimony that we are to have in our in the believer's life, and then we've looked at the rest that's available to us as a believer. I, I think it's a, I think it's a tremendous parallel myself. Uh, when I was studying, I was impressed with it. Now I don't know if anyone else is, but I was. <laughs> uh, what a blessing! What a blessing! The Word of God is so consistent and it's so powerful, it's so true. It's it's a wonder, and it's a treasure. Father, we ask now that you'd bless the, the word of God, um, that, Lord, your will be done in each life. Lord, would you apply the word as you know the, the, the need is in the congregation tonight. And, our Father, we pray you speak to each and every heart. We pray, dear Father, that you would help us uh, to develop as believers, assuming that everyone here is a believer. If not, we pray that anyone who is not would certainly come to Christ here very, very soon, and even tonight. Uh, but Lord, do help us to develop and help us to be fruitful. We pray that our lives are a testimony of the change that, bring, that is brought about uh, in the new birth. And we look forward to that final rest. But Lord, do help us until that time to rest in Thee, the rest of faith. We thank you for what you're going to do now in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.